Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Hey, good morning, Well. My name is uh, Paul Carlson, and uh, yes, welcome. Uh, uh, Lori and I are Covenant Community members. Uh, I serve as one of your elders, and we are part of the Elder CG as, in addition to that. So we're going to be reading from Song of Solomon today, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, so please read with me. How, be- how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools, pools in Heshbon and by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held in captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages let us go out early to the vineyards and see, and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Whew, pray for the guy who has to preach this. My goodness. Hey, can we just acknowledge that... Um, this is kind of a, an awkward passage to, to read and to preach, right? Uh, but here's what I know to be true. Here's a deep conviction I have. This is the word of God for the people of God, that in scripture, our hearts are pointed to the beauty of Christ, to God's desire for our relationships and his will for our lives. Amen? So there's wisdom for us in this. We just have to kind of dig a little bit through some awkward language, right? Hey, if you're new, uh, welcome to The Well. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we're in week six of a sermon series where we're talking about love and dating and relationships and marriage and exploring the wisdom of God for us in all of these areas by looking at the Song of Songs in the Bible. And if, if you're new, I really want to encourage you, go back and listen to week one that our, our lead pastor, Tori, preached. It was an incredible message. He walked us through how no, no matter where you are in your relationship status, there is wisdom for you in each of these chapters in Song of Song, that no matter where you are, there's something to find for all of us here. And he walks us through how to think about wisdom and love poetry rightly. And so if you're new, go back and listen to week one. Today, we're talking about how do you maintain fire and depth and passion in your relationships and friendships? How do you maintain passion and desire in your relationships? And here's why we need to talk about this. No matter how on fire you are, no matter how on fire any relationship is, over time, if that relationship is unattended to, the fire will wane 
and ultimately go out. One of the things I love about Texas fall is that means it's fire pit season. I love a good fire pit in the backyard. Amen? A few of you do. You feel you've not experienced this. We've got to work on this. Fire pits are fantastic. You got to do a little bit of work to get it going. But once you get a good fire pit going, you can enjoy it. It's lovely. It's beautiful to sit out there outside in the evening. Fire pit, good drink. It's fantastic. But if you sit back and enjoy the fire too long and you don't tend to it, that fire will go out. You have to do a little bit of work to keep the fire going. And I think the same is true in each of our relationships in our lives, that what can start as a strong fire in our relationship can ultimately, if unattended, end in a pile of ashes. That you have to tend to any friendship, relationship, and even spiritually with the Lord. And I think this is hard for maybe many of us in the room this morning. Right? That, that movies and songs and TV portray love as something that you can fall into. And can I just be really honest with you? No one stumbles into love. You grow into love. Right? And I think there's a few things that rob us of love and our relationships with one another. One is this idea of culture, that we live in a cultural moment that doesn't show us love persisting and growing over time. Right? Every movie cuts the story short and tells us they lived happily ever after, right? That's not always real life. That love and relationships, they take hard work. That you can get to happily ever after, but it takes work and intentionality. I think the second thing that maybe robs us of, of deep joy and desire in relationships is sometimes the passage of time. That, that we live in a cultural moment that is always wanting something new, always seeking the next thing, the newest thing. And so what do we do? When a relationship starts to feel stale, tired, or old, we just go look for a new one. We upgrade and seek a new relationship. That's why I think for so many of us, when that spark is gone in a relationship, we move on to the next relationship, looking for a new spark in a new garden. We haven't learned to persevere in love and allow love to deepen over the passage of time, right? Third, I think there's this pain of conflict. Uh, last week, Tori talked about that conflict is inevitable in every relationship. And sometimes when we experience conflict relationally, we have this tendency to bail on the relationship as opposed to pressing in, leaning in, working to rekindle that fire even through conflict. And then finally, I think sometimes misplaced priorities can rob us of that deeper joy and desire in relationships. Um, think about the most significant person in your life right now. Does a, does a name or a face come to mind? Maybe that the most significant person for you is, is a friend, a, a roommate, a, a spouse or a family member or a coworker. Imagine if you never spent any time with that most significant person in your life. You, you weren't present with them. You didn't talk with them. You didn't text with them. You never did anything with them moving forward. My guess is that that significant person would begin to become insignificant in your life, that you misplaced your time and energy and that person became insignificant, right? I think the same is true in our relationships that we can have misplaced priorities in that. And so what happens when, when the, the, the fire begins to dwindle, that the passion we have in our relationships begins to die out? What do we tend to do? 
I think sometimes we tend to give up and we move on. Or some of us, we become disillusioned and we settle in our relationships or maybe even never try again. Others of us, we're present, but maybe we're just emotionally numb in the relationship. Or I think we can follow the invitation of the Lord here and do the work of rekindling and deepening that fire and passion in relationships. So how do you put in the work? How do you do that? I think Song of Songs chapter seven gives us a glimpse of how we can do that. Uh, And again, the goal for all of our relationships, whether that's dating and friendships and marriage, community, even with the Lord, the goal of all of our relationships is intimacy. And intimacy, I believe deeply, intimacy takes intentionality that without intentionality, the fire will go out, right? That I think there's a little bit of a relationship math we need to do. That intentionality plus a deepening desire multiplied by time equals intimacy. You didn't know we'd be doing math on Sunday morning, did you? Welcome. You might not have seen this in algebra class. I hadn't either, right? Uh, But this idea that, that all of our relationships, they take intentionality, They take a growing and deepening desire for the good of the other over a lengthy period of time, consistently practiced. That leads to depth and intimacy. And so before we dive in, just some context of our passage. So the last few chapters, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, they were experiencing conflict in their relationship. And in chapter six, the husband and the wife, they're looking to find their way back to Eden in their relationship. They're looking to find restoration after conflict. And so in chapter seven here, we see a a sense of restoration and a deepening of their love and relationship with one another. That the garden of their relationship is flourishing again. That there is a deeper love and more to be had in their relationship with one another. And so from the very first lines of this love poem between the husband and the wife, we see something about this idea of intentionality and what God desires for our relationships and flourishing. And what's the very first thing we see in verse one? That the man, he begins by praising and acknowledging the beauty of his wife. Again, he's pursuing her with his words and his actions. And he says, how beautiful are you, right? If you're keeping score throughout this this series, this dude has like half a dozen times uh, praised his wife or his fiance or his girlfriend. Nearly every page throughout this, they are praising and and expressing love and beauty towards one another. And, And it might tend to feel like this guy is just repeating himself using the same pickup lines over and over and over. And he's absolutely doing that, right? Uh, let me summarize uh, four years of graduate study for you in the Bible. This is profound. Get ready. What gets repeated in the Bible is worth paying attention to. This saved you tens of thousands of dollars of grad study right there, right? What gets repeated is worth paying attention to. It's like someone texting you in all caps. They're trying to get your attention. And here the man is saying to his wife, the Shulamite woman, you're beautiful. I love you. What's the wisdom underneath these verses for us here today? I think it's this. It's easy to take people for granted in relationships and friendships and, dare I say, community groups. That you can become so accustomed to the presence of someone else that you actually forget to be present with them. 
right? That it's easy to forget to do the small things that cultivated love and desire and intimacy in the first place, that you actually forget to pursue the other person. You forget to be intentional in your relationships, right? I believe that where there's an absence of gratitude and honor and pursuit and praise, there is an absence of intimacy, that you don't get intimacy without intentionality. And here the husband, he is intentional with his words to his wife. Think about this with our vertical relationship with the Lord. Um, In the scriptures, the Bible uh, gives the command to remember God over 150 times. And the Bible gives the command to praise God over 550 times. Why are we being reminded so often to remember the Lord and praise the Lord? Because the scriptures know that our human hearts are sinful and we are prone to forget to be present with the Lord. We are prone to lack intentionality, even in our spirituality, just like we are in our horizontal relationships with others, right? There's another observation I want us to see that every other time in this book, when the guy praises his wife, the Shulamite woman, he starts at the top of her body, the top of her head, and he begins to work his way down describing her beauty. But here in chapter seven, he does the exact opposite. He starts with her feet and he works his way up. Why? Why does he reverse it here? Right? I think just one chapter earlier, the Shulamite woman uh, didn't want to get out of bed and let her husband to the house because he came home late. They had miscommunication, conflict happened. She didn't want to get her feet dirty is what the passage said in chapter five. And so the man begins expressing intentionality to his wife by talking about her feet, signifying restoration. Think about this. Uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. What's the very first thing Jesus did when he met Peter again post-resurrection? He says, Peter, do you love me? Right? The place of our pain and shame is where God begins his restoration work. And here we find the place where the conflict erupted, the man starts again with restoration right? And let's just be super honest here. Feet are not sexy. And whoever tells you otherwise, they're not a good friend. Abandon them. You need to upgrade your friendships, right? And particularly feet in the ancient world, no one thought they were sexy. Think about this. You're wearing sandals. You're walking around around dirty, dusty roads, and you are walking behind livestock and animals who use the bathroom wherever they please right? Your feet are stepping in things your feet should not step into, right? Feet are not sexy, but he's starting here with restoration. And he begins to move upward. And let's be honest, he begins describing her body in pretty explicit ways. And I don't think it takes a ton of imagination here to know what the dude is saying, thinking, and desiring. There are certain words that don't really actually mean certain words, right? Um, I think if Yusuf was preaching this, he'd be blushing right now. <laughs> True story, actually, I tried to get to sh- uh, shift sermons with him and he would not trade with me. Yeah. That was a hard pass. I bribed him, he wouldn't do it, yeah. right? And the man, he, he moves upward, describing her neck, her hair, and her posture. Her neck symbolizing dignity. 
that he is intentional with his words, saying that you are a woman of dignity and high character. Again, character matters. Then he moves on to begin praising her hair. Apparently, this girl had great hair. She had amazing hair. And he says, your hair reminds me of royalty. He says, you are a queen and your hair is like a crown. Think about this. He views her as royalty. Do you view the people around you as royalty? The people sitting next to you at work, do you view them as women and men made in the image of God? Royalty. Made in the image of God. And so he praises her as he describes her that she is powerful and strong. He sees and values her as a person, not just as a sex object. He sees her personhood, not as an object, right? The more he knows her, the deeper his love for her is, right? No marriage, no relationship can stand the test of time without words of affirmation, gratitude, and praise, right? Think about this. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, the tongue has power over life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So my question for us is, do your words bring life or death to the people and places around you? In your current relationships right now, are you using words to lift up and affirm and call out the beauty in others? Or are you a constant critic, chipping people away, tearing them down? In your friendships, in your CGs, how are you using words intentionally to speak life over one another? This man knows his wife and he speaks words of affirmation and gratitude and praise over her because he knows all of us need that in our life. Uh, about seven years ago, I was leading several uh, discipleship groups and I was meeting with all the leaders just to ask, hey, how's your discipleship group going? And one of the questions the groups were wrestling with that week was the question of name a time that you felt deeply loved and deeply valued. And one of the discipleship leaders, she was telling me about a, a woman in her group who was in her 30s. And when they came to that question that night to begin discussing it, about feeling loved and valued, the leader expressed to me, she says, this person in my group has, cannot name a time that she's felt loved or valued by anyone. Never felt loved or valued by anyone. And I got to watch over those next three to four months as that, as that woman's discipleship group rallied around her, affirmed her value affirmed that who God has made her to be and helped, helped her see that she is deeply loved and valued by God and the people in her group. And I can tell you, three months later when that group ended, that woman could say, I felt deeply loved and valued by the other women in my group. All of us have this deep need to feel deeply loved and valued. And so are you using your words, whether as a husband, a wife, a friend, someone in a CG to affirm others and speak life into, right? Think about this vertically in our relationships. Have you told the Lord, thank you today? One of the things I love about Paul is every time he prays in, in a team meeting, whether opening or closing prayer, he almost always begins his prayer by saying, Lord, thank you for today. 
for the gift of today, that your mercies are new today, that, that we're invited to speak words of praise back to God for what he has done and who he is. Are you intentional with your words and your prayer life with the Lord, right? This isn't just horizontal, this is vertical too, that your relationship with God will not flourish unless you are intentional with your words and your time. So are you intentional in scripture, in prayer, in worship, in community? You won't get intimacy without, in the Lord without intentionality with him. He is present. Are you present with him? Right? Look what happens next in verse nine and 10. It says this, may the wine go straight down to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards. That because of the husband's pursuit of her and his words of affirmation over this woman, backed up by his action and character over time, that she experiences this deep sense of security in their relationships. You might be wondering, how do you know this? Three times she says, let us, let us, let us. That means she feels secure around his presence. And out of that security, she feels the freedom to take the initiative in their relationship. She says, hey, I rented an Airbnb for us in the countryside. Let's go get away for a little lovemaking, right? That's, that's, that's literally what she says here, right? And that sense of security happens only because there's trust and vulnerability. And the only way you get trust and vulnerability is if one another feels like they're deeply seen, valued, and truly known for who they are. And I believe one of the greatest desires of Satan is to distort that that one of the greatest desires of Satan is to, is to corrupt and distort intimacy for us. That intimacy is not about sex, right? It's not always about sex. There's vulnerability and security and deep sense of love to be had in relationships. So, so what's the wisdom for us underneath this section of the passage? I think it's this, you never arrive in any of your relationships. There's always more depth and intimacy to be had. And the invitation is for us to be intentional no matter what relational season we find ourselves in, to be, relation, to be intentional with our relationships, with one another and with the Lord, right? Intentionality and desire multiplied by time equals intimacy. And the wife goes on again in verse 10 and says, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the village. Two words I want you to circle in your Bible, the word beloved and the word desire. The word beloved and the word desire. So this December, my wife and I will celebrate 15 years of marriage, which is just crazy. Pray for her. She, she keeps putting up with me year after year, right? So when Tiffany and I, we first got engaged, my wife decided to go pick out a, a wedding ring for me. And she wanted to get the wedding band engraved with the word beloved inside of it. And so she talks to the jeweler. She says what she wants in it. Uh, she goes away. A few weeks later, the, the jeweler calls her back and says, hey, guess what? The ring is ready for you to pick up. Come get it. So my wife goes to the store. She picks it up and she looks at it and she goes, oh, we have a problem here. Instead of saying beloved, it says be loved. Same number of letters between be loved 
and beloved. But that one space in between makes all the difference in the world, right? To be loved is to hope to find love one day. It's passive, as if you're waiting for someone to find you worthy of love, right? But the word beloved is completely different. It's a term of affection and closeness. It implies knownness and intimacy, that belovedness cannot uh, be earned. It can only be bestowed and received. There's a huge difference between be loved and beloved. And I think for some of us in this room this morning, we are living our lives hoping one day to be worthy of God's love, waiting to be loved by him, hoping that if we're good enough, he will love us or at least not let bad things happen to us. And so for some of us, maybe we approach the spiritual life as hoping to check off enough boxes to be loved by the Lord. Look at me here. Some of you are trying to be loved by God, not realizing you are already beloved by him. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are beloved by God. No, 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 say it like you mean it. You are beloved by God. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to earn his love. What Jesus has done for you on your behalf, God has lavished his love on you, that he calls you beloved. He calls you adopted sons and daughters of the king. That Romans says that you are co-heirs with Christ, that you are royalty in his eyes. So instead of the false names that people have given you over your life, false names like maybe failure, imposter, reject, or addict, or unlovable. The name that God gives you is beloved because of Christ. And it is his love that defines you and has the final say over who you are. So if you hear nothing else today in this strange passage, hear this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less because his love for you is not dependent upon you that Jesus secured his love for you on the cross, that on the cross, Jesus gives you his beauty. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you the name called beloved, that you are beloved by him and you are now free to live as one beloved. And the wife says, I am beloved here because of my husband, because there's knownness and security and intimacy. I don't have to work to earn his love. I am beloved by my spouse. The wife moves on and says in verse 10, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me, right? To desire, this is the Hebrew word teshukwa. Say teshukwa. There we go. It's this relationship word that speaks to heart language. And this is a strange word. It only appears three times in all of scripture. It appears here in Song chapter seven. It appears in Genesis chapter three and Genesis chapter four. This is a word that can mean desire or longing or or passion. It it can mean uh, good desires or destructive and domineering desires. And this happens only in the context of relationships. That that Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sinned, the Lord said uh, that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This isn't about one human ruling over the other. This is about sin distorting and destroying the beauty of relationships. That that sin wants us to take advantage of others 
in relationships. This is a passage about taking advantage of others, sadly. Right? Genesis 4, when God speaks to Cain before he murders his brother, he says, uh, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Here, God is saying, sin and the devil, Cain, they want to own you. They want to dominate you, but you must overcome it. Right? Teshukwa in the Genesis stories are about destructive and domineering desires. And I think, sadly, this idea of teshukwa in Genesis 3 and on has been used by men to demean, to dominate, and to harm women. Ladies in the room, look at me. If any man demeans, dominates, or shames you, he is not worth your time, your attention, your affection, or your energy. You hear me? Men in the room, look at me. If you dominate, demean, or are a tyrant to any woman in words or actions, that is called sin and abuse and has no place in the kingdom of God. That the way of Jesus is not about dominating others, it's about lovingly serving others. That the way of the kingdom is not conquering, but laying one's life down for others. This is the way of Jesus. It's about serving others. And this poem, this passage here speaks to a better way in our relationships, a more beautiful way to have passion and right desires and longings. It's not about dominating and getting your own advantage in relationships. It's about seeking the good and the flourishing and the beauty of others in relationships. And here the wife says, his desire is for me, not in a sense to dominate or control or get his own way, but he seeks my good, my flourishing, my beauty. Saints, do you seek the same in the relationships you are in, in your friendships, in your CGs, in, in your dating life, in your marriage? Are you seeking to get your own way or are you seeking to serve and yield your way to others? That is what this song is teaching us in chapter seven. That is what this is about. It's not about your own advantage. It's about lovingly serving others and cultivating that soil of intimacy and beauty and flourishing, right? Relationships are hard. They take work. We need intentionality. We need the right desires and we need it multiplied over a period of time to get intimacy, right? She goes on in verse 11 to say, come my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded if their blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates are in bloom and there I will give you my love and the mandrakes send out the fragrance and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old. And I have stored up for you, my beloved, right? And so the Shulamite wife, she responds to her husband's intentionality and words of affirmation and desire by planning a getaway trip. Did you notice all of the words about times and seasons and and fruit that's blooming here, right? What's, what's the wisdom principle here in this passage? I think God is showing us that his desire for our relationships and marriages and friendships is that they grow sweeter and mature over time, right? Think about all the fruit that's been referenced in Song of Song. It's everywhere and it's always blooming and it's always growing and it's always right there and it's amazing to taste, 
Uh, I'm not a farmer by occupation, but uh, last time I checked, not all fruit grows in all seasons, right? Um, have you ever wondered why when you go to HEB, sometimes the strawberries cost like a new phone price? And you're like, ah, that's kind of expensive, but okay, I'll get it, right? Uh, not all fruit grows in every season. What's the point? There is pursuit and intimacy and intentionality to be had in every season of the relationship. And some seasons look different. Some seasons blossom different than others. Some seasons are mountaintop experiences and some seasons and relationships are harder and feel like valley and the soil is dry ground. But in every season, there's always an invitation to cultivate the soil the Lord has given you and to work to grow intimacy in your relationships. So what does this look like practically? I think it looks like knowing what season you're in, setting realistic expectations for the stage of relationship you find yourself in. That if you're in a, a spring season or relationship, you shouldn't always expect a fall harvest in the relationship. And if you're in a winter season of relationships, don't give up. That just because things aren't blossoming yet, doesn't mean things aren't growing underneath the soil of relationships, right? Relationships and people take time and care to nurture and grow. Slow growth is still growth in relationships, right? Think about this vertically with the Lord. There are times where it feels like the Lord is distant and far away and your relationship with him is dry and it's a struggle. That doesn't mean there's not growth happening. You just can't see it yet, right? Not every day with the Lord feels like a mountaintop experience, but that does not mean his presence is not with you. That doesn't mean his love has abandoned you. It just means you have different seasons of your relationships. Do you recognize it? Do you see it? Are you cultivating it, right? So what do we do with this passage? What's the gospel point and what's the application? I think the gospel point is simply this, that Jesus is the true and better husband for us, that he models Song seven so well. Think about this. Jesus speaks words of life and affirmation over each of us, that he calls us beloved and that he desires us so much that he, he gives himself on the cross. Instead of seeking his own advantage, he actually lays down his advantage as Philippians tells us and he sacrifices his life. He yields his life so that you and I might experience true life. Jesus is the true and better husband. What's the invitation for us practically today and this week? I think it's this. If you wanna add fuel to the fire of, in your, of your relationships, you have to invest your time. Invest your time and your energy in the relationships the Lord has given you. If that's a marriage, how are, how are you investing your time in your spouse? If that's dating, how are you investing your time with your significant other? If it's friendships and your CG, how are you investing your time and energy in those relationships that matter most? If you say they matter most, does your calendar represent that? Second, practice gratitude and praise. Again, no relationship will flourish and grow without gratitude and praise. So how are you using your words this week to speak life over others? then finally, cultivate your own growth. That one of the ways we experience flourishing and intimacy is by doing some work ourselves, growing. So what's the Lord's invitation for you to grow in your own relationships? Let's pray. 
So Father, you are good and you are gracious and you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love and faithfulness. Lord, we, we thank you for passages like Song of Song that remind us of a true and deeper and better love, that remind us of what matters most in relationships and that ultimately point us to the gospel, point us to your heart for us in relationships and your heart for us in our relationship with you. And so Lord, may we be a people who express gratitude and praise, thanking you for all that you have done for us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.